Well, hello and uh, welcome to uh, <clears throat> the Alex and Jay Hour, where we solve the world's problems all at once. All at once. All at once. All at once. Okay, what <laughs> uh, what are we going to solve first? My money situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ready? I'm totally ready. I was born ready. <laughs> Jay, welcome to the Anna Creates Podcast. So great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So Jay is, uh, for those of you who don't know, go check out one. I just put out a video with him uh, a few weeks ago and uh, all about being a session musician and uh, all things related to that side of of the industry because it's not something that a lot of people know about. So go check out that uh, video on my Mm -hmm. YouTube channel. But Jay is an old friend of mine. We've been friends for over half my life. (laughs) Which is kind I of funny. I never thought of it like that, but you're Liter- right. Literally. You're right. Literally. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And Jay was one of my first mentors when I first got into recording. Um, there were I had two mentors that really got me started, and that was Ryan Tour and Jay Real. And Jay Real is here with me today. And, wow. uh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Back in the day, I started trying to screw around with recording here yeah. in my in uh, my home studio. I remember so you I were building your drum room yep. at that time. Yeah. And it was... Beginning of high school, um, and I had approached Ryan first because yeah. he worked at the the local music store, and yeah. so I was like, "Hey, man!" And I tried to get some help with him, and and then he, you know, I I had to approach him about coming to the studio because he had the studio with with you, yeah. uh, the Swamp, and so he was like, "Oh yeah, come and hang out," and then <laughs> it that's where it started. Yeah. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah. So um, yeah, that that's how Jay and I met years ago now this yeah. was i was 14 or 13 when that happened yeah mid there. 90s no, no later uh, 90s Two, 2005 2000s. or something like that right yeah <clears throat> um so a while there i spent four 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 years with you guys there before yeah. you shut the place down and yeah. you went to nashville and uh i went to school and we that happened at like the exact same time, time. yeah right yeah i went to school and you went to nashville it was like oh yeah i don't doesn't matter that you're shutting See it you down because uh, I'm leaving anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, what I wanted to kind of hear from you about is your coming into recording and your, you know, you were a musician since you were really young. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey starting uh, music and, and getting into the actual recording side of things. Cause okay. when you came into it, if I'm not mistaken, it wasn't quite as easy as go buy a Pro Tools rig as it is today. No. Not at all. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that journey. I have a funny story, actually, about <laughs> right, that. Perfect. <clears throat> well, okay. So yes, it, it started with obviously with playing. I did start early. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandma got me hooked when I was two, and and then started p- playing professionally when I was fifteen with my brother's band, uh, like making money at it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, never really looked back. Of course, music is one of those. Well, the arts, it's not necessarily music, but artistry is one of those things that once it sort of gets into your skin, you're, it's hard to get rid of, right? Yeah. And, of course, I also had a very nurturing musical family. Mm. Dad played in bands all his life, so there was always guitars and microphones and PAs and drums and basses. There was always music around all the time. So it was, I, I was 
was hitting me from right, left, mm-hmm. and center. So uh, I knew as I was going through my musical journeys and playing with different bands, and of course you're always learning your craft, and you learn from everybody different things. And I got to the age of, well, I've finished high school mm-hmm. and uh, and needed to think about a secondary education. So I thought, well, I'd be nice to do something in the music industry. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what yet at the time, like an agent or manager, producer, songwriter. I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I was young. I was 19. You still don't know what you want to do yet, right? Yep. And so then it came across, a friend of mine had showed me a pamphlet from uh, OERT, yep. Ontario Institute of Audio Recording Technology in London. And so I read it and I got thinking, well, that I like recording and that might be kind of fun. And we dabbled in it, like Dave Kalmuski back in the day and myself, you know, he had a four track and we used to mm-hmm. jam and write songs up in his you know, okay. the attic and that sort yeah. of stuff. So there was always that sort of bug to create and play it back and make it sound the best you can. And so that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, I went to OERT and graduated. And immediately after graduation, I went and worked at Ernie King's 8-track studio in Wingham, okay, Ontario. And uh, that's where I cut my teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the technology... It was different from what I just learned on, which is good because mm. that makes you really figure it out. Mm. But um, I did, oh boy, a bunch of records there uh, and really cut my teeth on that mm. and, you know, learned a lot, made some mistakes. That's too much compression. <laughs> wow, that's too much reverb. <laughs> but, you know, you always overshoot and mm. then you figure it out, you know, and you learn to go a little less as you as you go on in your journeys. But but the bug started there, uh, was with that pamphlet. So uh Will Meadows, myself and uh, Chris Willis. Mm. Actually it should be said, Chris Willis, Will Meadows and I yeah, there is go. proper. <laughs> uh went to Oyart and we uh we were roommates. We rented a townhouse for the, the year. Mm-hmm. And um that was the nice thing about Oyart is that it's a one year program. Yeah. As opposed to two or three, yeah, uh, they cram a lot in there. Yes, but you your overhead's only a year yeah. instead of two years, right? With food and parking and all and of that it's, stuff. It's such intense schooling that you don't have time to spend money on much else. <laughs> no, I love the overnight, like the late night, yeah, sessions. It's like, when's lab this week? Oh man, I'm in from three till six in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. But it was, but you know, again, when you're 19, 20, hey, you don't and care. you know what? Frankly, it gears you up for the industry in, in that way too. It's true. It's, I never thought of it like that. Yep. But you're right. A lot of it's late nights, that, big days, long days. If if you thought that was too intense, you're not working in a big studio because <laughs> that's true. That's what I learned at least. Jen Lewis, my uh, teacher, I think they called it RT at the time, was mm. the engineering part of the course. Yep. And of course, as you know, you took it. They, they do electrical. They do live stuff. They do uh, meter. They do publishing, like yep. uh, business. They touch on everything. But the engineering part, I remember in uh, Jen saying to the class, "You're not a real engineer until you pull three overnighters in a row. Yep. Then you're an engineer." And she's right. Totally right. I didn't. I'm thinking. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, like three years after, I'm like on my fourth day of no sleep, and it's like, I get it. <laughs> yeah. She's right. Yeah. Totally. 
I still remember back in the swamp days when I was there. And I mean, this was 15 years after you'd started the place. Right. I thought about this today, actually. The swamp, when I started there, was one year older than I was. Right. Because you started it in what, 93? 93. And I was born in 92. So it was actually, no, it was one year younger than I was. One year younger than I was when I was right, working there. Right. Yeah. Wow. I never thought I of it like that. I didn't think of that till literally today. But um, <laughs> I still remember back in in when I was there and I was working on my first record, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to do a lot. Of, that's how I experimented with a lot of stuff, and yeah. and that's how I would do it. Is I would work with you guys in the day. We'd do our sessions, whatever, yeah. and then you know the band or all of us would hang out and yeah. play some video games or chill and yeah. and everybody fall asleep and crash there and I'd go back in the control room and I'd shut the door and I'd work on You'd my do songs your stuff. Yeah. until six, seven in the morning. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, and then I'd crash on the couch for a couple hours and then people would wake up and okay, Traffic Festival's here. Let's <laughs> yep. go. Let's go. New session. <laughs> but that's that's how I cut my teeth working in with that. Yeah. And it's true. But Overnights, you know what? When you love what you do you don't notice it. You don't it's it's like being in Vegas where yeah. they don't, you know, they pump oxygen into the room and they there's no outside lights or windows or, yep. or uh, clocks. It's very similar in a control room setting. Totally. You just get into what you're doing and you're creating and 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 all of a sudden, I've done this many times. We're working away and this is sounding great and this is good. All of a sudden it's like, oh, it's 5.30. <laughs> yeah. I yep. got to go home. Yeah. But it felt like you don't midnight. Notice. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. So when you started, you kind of mentioned this, but I'd love to hear a bit more about it. Mm-hmm. When you started in Oyart, yep. you said that the technology was different from when you started in Wingham then. And that's like, okay, but you just went to school for it and Oyart's pretty up to date. Yeah. So very current actually. Yeah. So what do you mean? Like what, okay. and what was the, what was this technology that you well, were working on? Cause I find was, this fast. I always find this fascinating because <laughs> I learned from a lot of like old school guys yeah. and, and oh, sorry. I've done tons of sessions on tape and like I've, I've had the pleasure of being able to do that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, not a lot of people have. So I, I well, to- it was right. I went to school right on the cusp of digital versus tape and all the concept still remains the same. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's in a computer or you're looking at a, a tape machine and it, you know a a, a or a, what are they a forties a eighties a eighties a eighties yeah boy that was it's been a long time but I remember it yep <laughs> uh, and you know so and you got your analog meters and all that sort of stuff but the concept of engineering and capturing audio has never changed yep just the form has yep. But you still have a meter, you still have a preamp, you still have a monitor section, you still have an EQ section, you still have a compression. Nothing's changed other than now you access it with a mouse as Mm -hmm. opposed to turning dials up. But when I went to school, um, we were taught on two-inch tape. Mm -hmm. And same with editing. Uh, we were get, we were handed these little quarter inch reels, and there'd be a songs on it. And Jen, when she put them together, she'd take a song, record it, mm-hmm. take the tape off, and cut the tape in just different random lengths, throw it up in the air, piece it all back together. Yeah, hand you, and then they'd make copies of that, mm-hmm. and then hand you one, and you have to make it right. 
Mm. So you have to find the piece, cut it, somehow label it that you know that's the sounds like the intro or that sounds like the first right. chorus or whatever. And you're putting tape around your neck and you yeah. you got like, you know, look you look like Goldilocks. You got your hair, little tape hair hanging down. Yeah. And you're just sitting there constantly and you're cutting and pacing, you put it on, roop, 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 cut, play it. Oh, it's in the wrong or it's backwards or whatever, and you're fixing, mm. fixing. But it was all physically cut tape. That year, they had the very first Pro Tools system in the control room, and it was a two-track editor. Yep. That's all it could do. There was That's all they could handle at the time, because yep. our processors were slower, yeah. or we didn't have the meat that we have today, right? And But the funny thing was, I remember asking Jen, what's that unit? And she goes, oh, it's Pro Tools. This was the first year. Like, yeah. no one's ever heard of it before. Yeah. That's the first I even heard of it. Yeah. And she goes, oh, it's a it's a new digital editing software. Yeah. Oh, are we going to learn about that? And she said, no. And I kind of said, well, why is that? And she says, because we don't know how to use it yet. <laughs> like, it was yeah. new. And they were actually, after hours and whatever, they were... Right. Trying to learn what this is because it was brand new technology. Yeah. And as an operating working studio, that's why they were always up to date because right. they also, it was a working public studio. studio. Yeah. So they had to have the Neumanns and the top of the line, everything, right? And uh, so same with that Pro Tools. It's like, yeah. well, we know it's coming. We got to get it. But they couldn't teach it to us because they didn't really understand it yet. That's but funny. it was, and it's... then I graduated that year. Yeah. And next year, Pro Tools was Ever. everywhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, again, I learned how to do all my editing with yep. splice and tape and not with a mouse. Uh, but I'm glad I did. I'm mm. glad that I have those roots because that's that's where it started. Yep. And, again, the concept of engineering and recording, nothing's changed. Mm. You still you have to capture a performance. That's yep. key. You still need a preamp. You still have your meters and your levels and mm. faders and volumes and whatnot and compressions, EQ and so on, reverbs, yep. delays. But now it's just done with a mouse instead of the outboard gear. Right. So it all changed, but nothing changed. Yeah. Yeah. So the interesting thing with that, that I think is you said that the, the essence of it is the same. You still have to capture a sound with a microphone. And frankly, you know, microphones, preamps, compressors, like we still use stuff from the 30s. Some like, of my favorite so, vocal sounds on records are 58s. Exactly. And and old, like vintage gear is, is sought after and expensive for a reason because people love it. That's the sound. That side of things has not changed, literally. No. At all. Uh, I think the digital realm has added a lot of possibilities. Oh, 100%. absolutely. But what I would like to hear your thoughts on is the mentality behind recording, because this is what I mean by this is the, you have to capture a sound. Yes. Yes. But when you did it on tape, you only had one chance at it. One well, chance one track. or, or 30 minutes on one tape and yeah. it cost 300 bucks for a new piece of tape. Yeah. And, but now like I have a hard drive that's two terabytes and I can record a band 
for, for day, days, weeks, months without without needing to worry about hard drive space. And yeah. if I run out, oh, hundred bucks, and I get, get a new hard two drive. terabyte hard drive. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like tape is unlimited, and it's this big, and it's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> I carry it around in my backpack. Yeah, like, um, where's your studio? Right here. Right here. Yeah, <laughs> but. So the, the mentality on that front has changed dramatically. And mm-hmm. we had talked about this a little while ago. I remember this conversation, yeah. And I wanted to to hear you speak on this okay. a bit, where the the mentality of that part of it, because production has changed in some respects, where totally. you can now do different things, you can have different techniques in that side of things. Like, yes, the microphone is still the same. You have to have a great player. But mm-hmm. now... Uh, and and this is, I think, a cool discussion because right. you're more in that tape realm. I've done lots on tape, school. but uh, so I understand it, and I, yeah. I feel very, very, very grateful to know that side of things. Yeah. However, I am came in in the modern age more so, so yeah. my mentality towards recording is keeping a lot of things and yes. and editing everything, and you know, obviously genre dependent. But yes, <clears throat> I'd love to hear your kind of. Uh, What you have to say on on some of that. Yeah, there's two. I mean, uh, first of all, there's no right and or wrong way. Yes. Every way is right. Preface this whole conversation with there's no right or wrong. It's just different. They all work. (laughs) And and that's the truth. Uh, But certain people have certain workflows or and and they hold on to isms. Like it's like, it's just the way I like to do it. Mm -hmm. And again, both are right. Yep. Um, I know what you're referring to, like, um, I know when we first got Pro Tools, and I used to do this, mm-hmm. but I've changed. I've changed my ways a little bit, um, where I used to keep multiple playlists of, like, you know, 30 vocal passes and, you know, and seven drum passes and 10 bass parts and you know, 12 guitar overdubs, and, like, and I'd keep everything. Because you could. You had the you space. You, yeah. So you want to do another pass? You just click new playlist. All right, we're rolling. Like, mm-hmm. you're done. But I found a friend of mine, Alan Roger, actually asked me a question one time. And this really made sense to me. And all he asked was, do you ever go back and listen to any of that stuff? Like, do you go back and listen to the first vocal pass you did after you'd done 30? Mm-hmm. And I thought about it for a second. And I went, actually, not really. Mm-hmm. No. Because usually, when you, especially back in the studio, the swamp days, yep. you'd have the band. I like to have as many people in the room at a time. Right. Um, I do miss that about doing stuff over the internet where you can't discuss parts. As freely, yeah. You know, it's like yep. somebody might go, hey, what if we totally broke that down and went to a sus two instead of the whatever? And yeah. Well, let's try that. And you play it. It's like, oh, man, it's way better. Yes, cool. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. You don't get that anymore. Yeah. So, which that's a different story. Yeah. But, uh, so when after he answered, I answered his question and I thought about it. It's like, I, I don't sometimes, but to be perfectly honest, Mm -hmm. you go back to listen to track one and then listen to track 30. And if he sang all of them in the same day, you can't use the first half of them anyway. Mm -hmm. Cause by, as he's singing, his throat's getting more hoarse more raspy, more warmed up, or more tired. Yep. And those all color the actual performance. So if you were to take and cut anything from track one into track 29, or it'd be like, sounds like that was two different days. Yep. So there's a point when it becomes... There's a range of takes that you can use. Yes. Yeah. You might be able to use one to 10, mm-hmm. and then maybe 15 to 
22 <laughs> yeah. and then 24 to 30. Yeah. But you know, you get what I mean? As yeah. you get old, as you get on in your day, you just get tired and it's just like, that's not the tone you started with. Not, mm. not even close. Yeah. But, but I would keep stuff and, and some, in times there would be times it's like a better line. You go back and find one. And so I did use the technology for that. I really did. Right. Um, <clears throat> but 96% of the time, when you had a band in there, mm-hmm. Keith, Steve O'Connor, me, Steve Hogg, Steve Patico, whoever it was, yeah. and you're playing and we do a pass, it's like, okay, it was not bad. And then first one, you're just kind of feeling it out. Second pass was sort of like, okay, that was better. I got that midsection there. That was pretty cool. And then usually by the third or fourth drum pass, it's like, that felt great to me. Mm-hmm. And everyone would go, yeah, no, that's a keeper. And then... We go back and the, anyone have any confessions and Steve might say, uh, you know, just give me another bridge. I, I could do that a little better there. And Don Reed might go, oh, just give me the back half of the solo and yeah. a couple little touches. And and then it'd be like, everyone good? Yeah, sounds good. Mm-hmm. So in that particular scenario, I learned that once we got to that third drum pass and everybody agreed, yeah, that's the one stop. Yeah. I don't need to keep the first two. Right. And especially if we start working and mm-hmm. doing overdubs and stuff on that third drum pass, mm-hmm. that's the bed track. Yeah. So you see what I mean? Then it's like, I do, do I really need to keep the first and second bass ones or the first and second guitar or the first mm. and second? Because we all agreed the third pass was, that was pretty good. Yeah. I could fix that. Let's fix that. And so I got to a point where I started to use digital pro tools or, mm-hmm. or, or DAWs like a tape machine. Yeah. And I know I could keep, I know I could keep playlists around. I know it, I know it. Now that's also in the genre I was working in. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily work for all genres. You need more mm-hmm. insert, you know what I mean? Like it, when we're doing a country record or something, it, it's meat and potatoes. You go play your part and you're done. Sounds great. Yeah. And that's it. So, the application for me was slightly different. So I started then at that point, um, I would make decisions about the track mm-hmm. with the players in the room yep. so that they would sign off on it. And I would not go back and take like a track from on Don Reed's. I wouldn't go and take a lick from track one now and put it in track three because he liked three. Right. So who am I to change his playing after that? Yep. So it changed for me, and it became more of a tape machine where we do a couple passes, keep them, but then once we got the pass we liked, I would get rid of all the unused files, and I would all of my songs at that point were like seven hundred megabytes. Right. <laughs> I I wish as opposed to three point five gigs. Yeah. I just I didn't need it. Yeah. But again, that's the same with vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, now. Hmm. Kind of. (laughs) Sometimes it depends. When you, uh, like when I work with Jana, I know that she gets to where she needs to get it quickly. So I'll let her do a pass, let her warm up. I'll keep it. I'll do another pass and she kind of settles in and finds a quirky little thing. And then the third and maybe fourth pass, that's all I'd really do because it would, the third pass would be, okay, that's pretty good. And I do have the other ones that we can cut to, but I generally then, we go back to the beginning and just listen to past three. Again, the last one where it's like, oh, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. And then we just work on that. Right. 
and go back and listen and, you know, uh, you got a better one of those lines. And headphones, the mic's ready. Yep. Just pop in, record that. That's good. We'll listen to it. Yeah, it's better. I like that. Uh, uh, you can phrase that better. That right. might be better if it's back phrased. It's like you're saying it perfect. It sounds great. But I think it'd be cooler to back phrase. Just try it and cut it. But then I would use the machine at that point as a tape machine. Right. And not keep playlists. So, so do you approach things... I mean, obviously, there's all sorts of different, you know, ways to do things yeah. and different. But it sounds like you do more of, uh, like, for vocals, for instance, where you find the best take and then you punch in and patch it up instead of get 10 takes and then comp it later. It, Is now, that- it depends. No, it does. that's why I kind of look funny at the camera. Yeah. Because um, it depends. It depends on the song. It depends on the singer. Okay. It depends on the day the singer's having, mm-hmm. right? Because there's many factors, you know, a little tickle or not warmed up or whatever. And and it and depends again on, on the singer. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I will keep five or six passes. I don't tend to keep more than that. Right. Uh, I mean, I, again, I used to. Right. But now I just, if it's not, personally, if it's not happening within the first six for me, yep. come back tomorrow. Right, but I'm also a singer, so like so you I get that. I have a different yep. approach to it, where some people want to do it and do it and do it and do it till they get a certain nuance, and that's not wrong. Mm-hmm. That again, totally. We yep. started by saying there's no right or wrong way. Mm-hmm. There's your way, my way, yeah, and the highway. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it depends again on the singer, but sometimes I will keep six passes. Yeah, and I won't comp or tune anything with them in the room. That's a that's a uh, just a smart practice overall. <laughs> I tried that once. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't go well. A lot I tried of that the once, time. and if I am doing it, I'm setting something in between me and the artist about three or four feet away, so they can't hit me. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah, Jana had a nice habit. Not it was actually kind of funny and cute, but but she would get so excited and and producing a vocal track with her and getting her to getting her to sing, and it's just like. Uh, you know, she knew that she blew something and she'd whack me on the shoulder. Do it again. And she'd yell, do it again. Yeah. No, there's no need to hit me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I've learned even with tuning. Yeah. Uh, when the artist is in the room, sometimes they're like, I didn't sing it like that. No, no, no. I know you didn't. Like Melodyne is, yep. it's got two notes yep. and it's pulling the one up. I got to fix that. But if you don't understand the technology, it just goes immediately to... I suck. It sounds wrong and they don't understand. Yeah. yeah. I didn't sing it like that. No, not at all. No, that's, that sounds awful. You saying you were way better than that. Yeah. But it's the technology I need to fix. I can fix it. I will fix it. But my whole thing when I'm cutting vocals or producing vocals for people, I'm not actually listening to, I mean, I am listening for pitch, but I'm more concerned about Mm. capturing emotion and character. Mm Mm-hmm those growly bits and the whatever those tones yep. that that a machine can't create mm-hmm. i can tune them yeah not worried about that but they don't have a machine that can add growl in your voice or woo or haze or yep. emotion there's yep. no machine that will put emotion into your track you have to capture that yeah in the performance yeah. so that to me when i'm doing vocals is my main thing is more the attitude, and I know I can manipulate it after. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, 
but hence the other the reason why I won't. Yeah, but that's the other reason why I won't edit or tune in front of the artist. I'll we'll have a tea and coffee and I'll save it and shut it down and wait for mm. them to leave, and then I'll do my work because it. For some are okay with it, some are not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jana's like people that I have been working with as of late are now more comfortable with it because they see what I can do with it. But for yeah. the first bit. It's very discouraging because you're soloed, you're eyeball yourself, and it's like, oh, you're hearing little weird stuff. And they you're get every little tiny yeah, thing that. And they get so, yeah. uh, in not inward, that's not the right word, but self conscious, I yep. guess. So I just, I let them sing, sing, sing. I'll suggest things. Let's lift yep. here, or maybe, maybe a different note in the chorus. Maybe, do, do, da, 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 instead of, do, do, da, da, whatever. Like, yeah. Let's play with it a bit and find it till you till the artist is happy. Yep. First of all and foremost, that's the most important thing. Yep. Uh, and then of course just yeah manipulate it when I'm alone. I've I've found uh, out of all the artists I've ever worked with and been in the room with, there's only a handful that like to be in the room or can be in the room during that time time that yeah. there's a lot of them that don't they even if they know what happens they don't want to be around they don't want to hear it most of them because of that they get self-conscious and there are there are a handful of that i've worked with that are like yeah let's tune it right now i want to hear and they get it so they listen to it and they know when it's melodyne's doing its squeaky thing yeah. it's not right but no is that can, two notes or what, one th- note? what's going on there well, let's That's just not, put it in between it's exactly. none of those notes. <laughs> exactly. It's none of the, it's, it's the, you know, the artifact that I happen to click on while I drag the note around. Like, yeah. you know, there's all sorts of, but they understand that. So they wait and then play it back and go, ah, okay. Now that it's in tune, I don't I love do the emotion. Better. I can do that better. We, we have a better one or whatever. And, and mm-hmm. you know, but they, they get that. So it's easier for yeah. that. But something that I find very interesting about your whole, the overall philosophy. Right. And of course we're talking about, there's a million options, yeah. but your overall philosophy is interesting because you say that you use it more like a tape machine mm-hmm. and you, you know, keep only a certain amount of passes mm-hmm. because it's kind of the same as tape where you only had the ability to keep five. Yeah. You approach the recording that way, but yet you embrace the editing, which is <gasps> not like a tape machine. Way better. Right? And faster. There's a, that's totally so, so why, yeah. one, why do you do that? And do you think that you approach it that way? Because I know a lot of old school guys who are like, tape is tape, we record it until it's right, and then that's it. That's, you don't touch it. Regardless if it was Pro Tools or if it's tape or not. Or, right. Or, but that's their mentality and that's the way they came up and that's the way that it is. They know the technology exists, yep. but they're like, it's voodoo or they don't want anything yeah. to do with it or it's unnatural it's or whatever. Like, no, we don't touch it. That's a finished vocal. Yeah, We're done. exactly. And yet you embrace parts of the technology while yes. also kind of sticking somewhat to the old school way. I do both. Yeah. You're right. I, no, you're right. But I mean, it's so, it's so fast and easy to edit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I mean... I also like to uh, not not work fast, mm-hmm. to, but to be efficient. Yep. And if I know that I blew a lick or a drum fill or something, and I know that I could just take this one over here and put it over and it'd be fixed, yep. that's faster than actually plugging all the mic cables in again and getting your headphones and actually playing it again. Yep. So, I mean, there's advantages to the digital, of course, the, totally. that world. And, you know, and even just tuning. Mm-hmm. And like we didn't have tuners back in the day, yep. you know, uh, but the, yeah, the medium of course lends itself to, 
to making things sound better, mm-hmm. tighter, like vocal align even, or being able to manipulate and move, cut and move S's around and just make things yeah. cleaner and tighter. Um, again, genre specific, mm-hmm. you know, where like old school country, there's all kinds of mistakes, not mistakes, but they're pleasant. Yeah. They're pleasant musical mistakes or, yep. or I shouldn't even use the word mistake. Discrepancies. They're pleasant <laughs> musical moments. Moments. There you go. There. Okay. And that's one thing. But again, you know, like a Metallica record, that's, we're going to put it on the quarter note and everything is but they, tight. The thing is, they were doing that with tape. It just took six months. A lot months. longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do it again. Yeah. Do it again. Yeah. Some poor editor in the back, some assistant with yeah. the tape around his neck. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> yeah. And, but yeah, no, I, I, I am across. I do a little bit of both. I do because, um, again, the things. I record to my machine like a tape machine mm-hmm. in the sense that I don't keep I don't like to keep multiple playlists around. Again, depends on the players and the band. Yeah. Like if it's a garage band that's starting out, you might want a few more to pick from just because they're learning their craft still. Yeah. Yep. That's different. But um but manipulating the audio in a digital form, it just saves time. Mm-hmm. Like sure, I could re-sing it again. I could. Yep. Or I could vocal align it. Yep. Or I could just move it or tune it and whatever. Not so much with that. Like again, being a singer, I I'm pretty good at mapping and mm-hmm. like I'm and being a drummer, so I, I listen to phrasing and back phrasing and and I'm fairly quick at it. Yep. Um but when you have somebody else that might be singing and, and is not as conscious and hold out lines longer than the singer did or or jumped on the the line earlier than the singer did or whatever, yeah. then I sure I could make them sing it and 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 sing. Or do two or three and get one that's again has the emotion, mm-hmm. which is more important than anything of any else right. uh, any other part of it. Yep. You can't create emotion. Yep. I can tune it. Can't create it. <laughs> yeah. So I would get that emotional piece and then manipulate the file mm. to fit better over the lead vocal. Right. And and ultimately just saving me hours of again, again, and, again, again. Yeah. So there's again, it's a fine line. Totally. But do you think that part of why you are accepting with that is the time at which you learned where you were coming up with digital was a thing. And whereas some of the old school guys who I've found are like, no, we're going to sit here for six hours and do it a hundred times to get it right. Yeah. And we're going to punch in the line until you get it right. Until you get it right. Are the guys that grew up on tape and like the whole, like they were doing tape for 20 years. Yeah. And that's the way they think. Whereas you were on that kind of cross line because it was right on that. I've, this is kind of my, my, my kind of theory and sort of a, a thing that I've noticed is some of those guys think that way. And even if they're using pro tools, that's the mentality. We're yeah. going to do it right. We're going to punch in. Sure. Yeah. But that's what we're going to do. It's not a lot of editing or we don't want to do as, as minimal editing as possible. Yeah. And then there's guys like you who think about it more in the old school realm in terms of like, yeah, we don't need to keep everything or keep less, you know, that's right. great. And, but I'm going to edit because it's way easier. Yeah. And then there's guys like me who keep everything, edit everything. Like that's my, 
d- again, default state, yeah. not only, but that's what I kind of, if I had my way, that's how that's I would how you do, do it. it. And do you think that's partially to do with at what point in technology we were introduced and started? Or what do you think I the do, reason for actually, that is? I know, I think I do. I, I think I do agree with that, that, um, you know, dare I say it's a generation difference mm-hmm. per se. Because again, even if you were cutting on tape, and I know that eventually it's going to go to digital, mm-hmm. I would still make sure we work that vocal till we got a perfect vocal take because yeah. because we're on tape. Yep. You can't go in there and then punch in on digital because it's, well, that doesn't sound anything remotely close to the past we did, right? Yeah. Because of the tape compression and the yeah. saturation, uh, the dynamic range that you can hit tape with. Yeah. So... But again, yeah, once you get it back into the computer, that's where if you can make it sound tighter and better faster, then why wouldn't you? As far as doing, I think that's a generation thing Mm -hmm. because I came from when I started recording, it was all tape. Mm -hmm. And you would do it until you got a pass. It was like, that's pretty solid. Let's have a listen. Okay, we'll come in. You know, usually the band stay out on the floor for like four or five, three, four or five passes. Depend again, depends on the band. Yep. Depends on there's so many factors to it. Totally. But and you, everyone would sit in there and jam as a band until it's like that felt pretty good. Mm-hmm. Let's go listen to that one. Then everyone take their headphones off into the control room and they'd listen. Yep. And then you would either decide, yeah, we got a good bed track, bass and drums rock. That's great. And and then again, who's needs fixes? Oh, give me this. Give me the first thing. Oh, yep. Yeah. Good. And then I would, so back to what I was saying earlier in the other conver- with previous question, similar thing, is that I would make those decisions with the players in the room mm-hmm. uh, so that I know they're happy with it. And I would have to be happy with it too. Obviously, if I'm producing, it's like we all yeah. got to come to a, a general conclusion. But once you captured that, um, then it's like, I know Steve's happy. I know Don's happy. I know whatever whoever robin's happy everyone's happy yeah so we're good and the artist is happy they like the track and Mm -hmm. and so then and then i just run with it but again i also come from an older school of music listening and that's that was how we made music kind of what you were saying like some of the old school people you work with we're gonna we're gonna use tape and that's it yep so similar thing but i i honestly think that that's an an age difference you grew Mm -hmm. up with computers yeah I was years old. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> when uh, when I started, not to give it away. Yeah, uh, you know. So and of course, and I embraced technology, and I learned a lot because I had to. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, everyone's recording digitally. Well, what's a computer? What's RAM? Mm-hmm. We didn't have that when I was growing up. So, it, so there's a different respect level for the technology, I think. Totally. And it's just. And again, all ways are right. It's mm-hmm. not that one's right or one's wrong. I think it's just what you get used to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And like, I think that, like you said, like it's, it's you were on the cusp of, as you were learning, like you started with tape and only that, mm-hmm. but you were on the cusp of digitals coming in. So as you're still getting your workflows down and you're figuring <clears throat> there is technology to take advantage of. Yes. Whereas uh, then you like the next generation which is me yeah i started more on like my first pro tools rig was pro tools 7.4 i think 
So oh man, I know I, you were oh man, <laughs> like we had just gotten Elastic Audio in that update, right? So I was in this realm of it's still more basic than it is today, yeah. but it was digital, and I'm very thankful again that I've had the opportunity to learn on tape and on other technologies, and I. That's why I like being able to, because I can talk to you or right. other people about it and kind of help educate people about this because I have that span of knowledge that's beyond just my generation right. of learning, right. thankfully. But um, I think there's a lot of people that would be in my boat or or even later than me that don't even realize that Pro Tools was mimicked after tape Pro yes. Tools, like the the edit window, is the tape, the tracks on tape. Moving it's just it, yeah. that you can jump it's around linear. easier. Yeah, and the mixer is based on a console. Yeah. Whereas you know nowadays, I mean, if you look at like Ableton or something, like it's not even laid out like that anymore. Yeah, all the interfaces change. Yeah, because it's totally like that's not that's not how people think anymore. They're like, mm -hmm. okay, well, that and it develops, technology grows, but yeah. I find it very interesting because it's how you approach recording is also how you've been taught with the technology. Like the technology influences yeah. how you approach the craft in a sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause the technology will, uh, push you to do things differently because mm -hmm. it can do this yeah. where you never, well, I never thought of doing that before, mm -hmm. but now you can. Yeah. And I think there's a, the, the other really interesting thing that I think, and I'd, I'd like to hear what you th agree, disagree yeah. back in the, early days of, of any technology, not even recording alone, but we're talking about specifically recording, but the amount of time between updates mm -hmm. was a while. Yes. When <laughs> eight track or two track came in and yeah. then they went to eight track yeah. or four track and then they went to eight, eight track. track. That's like 10 years Yeah. to get four more tracks. Yeah. Whereas now if I find something in Pro Tools that I'm like, why doesn't it do this? Oh, I have to wait maybe six months and they'll have an update that might do it. That, yeah, exactly. Or something else will do it or a plugin will be made with it or I can go create a plugin that does it yeah. or it's way faster. So I, I have a feeling that certain old school guys think about it in terms of this is how it is. This is what it is. That's, right. I'm not even going to try and think of something else because their brain is, it's going to take 10 years to get here. Whereas right. in my brain, I think about things a bit differently because I'm like, well, there might be an update with that or it probably will, or I can request the feature and it'll be here in eight months. Right, 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 right. And that's how I think about creating to find different ways to do things. Right. And, you know, obviously I think that there's, there's still some merit, you know, back in, you know, the Beatles and they were like, how can we make what we have do something else? Oh man, they were, they, <laughs> they, created, were, they created forcing and flanging and like they... They oh. were like, we want this sound. How the heck do, How do we, we make do it? Because well, nobody else is doing it just yet. Just touch the flan. Mm -hmm. What's that do? It makes it go... <laughs> That's pretty cool. Okay, Paul. Paul, get Ringo. Come yeah. over here, just do that. Yeah. But but yeah, see, they in, in an analog sense, they did that. Yeah. They found ways to backwards tape, backwards yeah. loops. You know, the beginning of... Uh, oh, boy, what's the song? Da-da. I have this record, Revolver record. Mm. Uh, I can't think of the last piece, but to me, that was the very first loop right. ever. They took a drum part, put it on, mixed it down to quarter-inch tape, yeah, put it around the spindles, and just made a closed loop, 
yeah. and tighten it off and hit play, and it just kept going around and around, and that was yeah. the drums. Yeah. I mean, but nobody That's, had ever done that really mm-hmm. before that. It's like, how'd they do that? Oh, yeah. we, just took a, we took a piece of tape and we went, yeah. you know. Actually, it was quite simple, but just to even come up with the, how do you do that? Yep. Now, like you said, we're digital now. It's just so click, click, and mm-hmm. like we've got reverse buttons and invert buttons and everything's there. There's a million possibilities. Yeah. That makes it faster. Yeah. Again, what we said at the very, very beginning is nothing, the concept of recording still, has never changed. Yeah. You got a mic, a preamp, mm-hmm. a meter, mm-hmm. and a fader. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what DAW, what unit you're using, they're all going to have a preamp, Mm-hmm. A microphone, a meter, like yeah. that never changes. But the the speed at which at which you can manipulate and fix, yep. replace, copy, mm-hmm. move, stretch, tune, whatever, flange, yep. chorus, whatever you got to do, is just way faster. Yeah, because you don't have to patch stuff into the thing and turn around to your outboard gear and. Now it's just like, oh, you want a phaser yeah. on there? And you go up to your plugins, like that one, click, and you usually have a preset or you know what you kind of want, so yeah. you put your speed where you want, and it's like, how's that sound? Oh, it's great. So, Done. So, okay, touching on that, this is another interesting thing I've hmm. thought of. One of the things that, that I thought was very interesting was, you know, Pink Floyd, I think it was Pink Floyd, Money, that song oh, with that doo, loop. Doo, doo, doo. And they had that loop mm-hmm. of like cashier stuff and Ching. coins and... And there's the story about that where they had made it on a on a piece of tape, but it wouldn't fit in the tape machine. So they held it, they put a mic stand out and wrapped the tape around there because they needed a certain length. Oh, to for and it to go because all the it way was around. they needed it longer than what the machine actually could, could have. Do. So they were like, "Well, how do we do this?" Instead of like shortening the loop or ma- they just were like, "How about we just we just need it extended? Let's just put a mic stand out. How far do we need it? Yeah, keep the keep the tape tight. Okay, good. Yeah, perfect. right there. Let it go. And that's where that's how they did these. They had to think outside the box yeah. to, to make these. Now, do you think that technology, while it gives us a million more options, mm-hmm. easily accessible, mm-hmm. does it hinder to a degree the creativity of it? Because if you wanted mm. to come up with something back in the day and you were like, okay, we're going to sit here and we're going to think about this, this. And we're going to make this and we're going to find a way and we're going to screw something up because we're trying a bunch of stuff and yeah, yeah. we found random things and that's how they came up with. Cause I mean, for all we know that they came up with a flanger by somebody leaning back and whoa, what yeah, was what that? Happened? Oh, that's really cool. Sounded cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but things like that would happen nowadays. You think of something that you want, you go, you click. And like you said, you click a preset and you go, cool. Sounds good. Next. And while we have more options, people don't push the options as much necessarily. It, I, do you think that's the case, or what do you see? With yeah, that? I mean it. Do, I mean it, I, it. I think it does make us slightly lazier mm-hmm. in the creative sense. It can if you don't watch it. If you just use presets and don't actually really dive in, or or be methodical about it, or or find an analog way to do it, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's it's again it's a double edged sword because yep. you can get it you can get to it quickly and like fast and efficiently. Is it as creative? No. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is. But again, to me, more of what it is you're capturing is more of the emotion of capturing right. the performance of... And the song. I mean, 
it's got to be a good song too. Um, yeah, there's so many factors to it, right? A hooky melody, um, good singer, emotional singer, like sad song makes you want to cry. Like, oh my god, she's hurting so bad. Yeah, that makes a difference. That yep. sells records. Where if you just sort of go through the motions and it's like, here's my little song, and there's real no love behind it. Mm. It's like if you're not. I've heard the saying said. You've heard me say this. If you're not selling it, I'm not buying it. Right. So that that statement directly goes back to no matter what sound you're trying to find Mm -hmm. or create or whatever, if there's no emotion attached to any of it, you're snow plowing. 100%. You need a good song. No production technique is going to make a good song. It's going to fix a bad song. No. It'll add to a good song. Yes. And it'll make a bad song. Well, depending more on the production, could be but, good or bad. Yeah. Could make it worse, too. We could sometimes. make it worse. <laughs> that's depends on who's at the very helm, yeah. true. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I totally agree. But ultimately, that's the key, I think, to me. Mm-hmm. Again, I used to, I used to chase after the Joneses when I had the studio. Right all the updates and try to get some expensive microphones. And I, tr- I tried to be current as I could. Yep. ADAT, so we got, you know, three or four ADATs. And and then that technology went out and then computers yeah. came in. So we got a nice big computer and then we got a Mac. And so, I, you know, I chased and I chased and I chased. And then I finally one day, and I'm not saying, again, this is right or wrong. It's just me. Mm-hmm. I got to a point where it's like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And why am I doing, and who am I doing this for? Right. And I got to a point where it's like, you know what? I've got everything I need to make a good record. I mm-hmm. got a piano. I got a drum, good sound and drum kit. I got a space. Sure, they got a new U80 whoop-de-woo phase inducted <laughs> super duper, yeah. you know, uh, fuel injected capsule that's 3.4 inches wide. It's bigger than ever, you know, and yeah. I'm sure it'll sound great. I'm sure it would. But I can't justify $6,000 to have it because that microphone I have right there sounds good too. Yeah. So I got to a point where I stopped chasing mm-hmm. the Joneses. And um, and even still today, like there's even things where, you, you know, you showed me a couple of shortcuts and a few things the other day. It was like, hey, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But I just got to a point. I don't, again, I'm not saying it's a generation difference or, or age or anything like that. But I mean, I am <laughs> years old. So, was you're that probably, eight, 18? Was that? <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> 51. I'm 51 years old now this year. 15. Okay, yeah. Backwards. Yeah. Backwards. Yeah. Oh, I'm dyslexic as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, see, these are the grades of a 15 year old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but again, I kind of got, I got my telly, I got my 63 jazz bass, like I got, and I got my, you know, 1176 mm. and a couple two preamps, and I got everything. I personally need to do what I want to do. Yep. I'm sure that if I was to open it up to a studio again, there would be people that would want, well, I'm using Apollo or I'm using, I don't use those, I use. Yeah. And that's, again, cool. Mm -hmm. It's not right or wrong. I think I just, I got to a place in a a point where I got what I I need to do it. And to a point, I mean, you touched on this earlier and you're right. The old preamps and the old tube techs and the old gear mm. is the sound. That's where the sound comes from. Yeah. And that's true. Um, 
And in the same sense, uh, the creators band uh, with Al and Paul, and we just recently got together and did a couple yeah. of seven song EPs over the internet while we're in lockdown, right? So yeah. we got to create. But, you know, you go listen to some of that stuff and it's all put together. And and Paul, we did all of our background vocals. Yeah. Or sorry, not background vocals. All of the lead vocals were done on a 58. Right. And he stood in the control room holding it with the speakers on. Right. And most people are like, oh, you can't, there's going to be leakage and bleed and you can, what do you do? Oh, what are you doing? Yeah. You can't tell. I'm sorry. You know why? The speakers works because the emotion was there. It yes. And the songs there. The songs there. Yep. And then you compress it and of course you EQ it and you get some of the cause these are got a fair amount of four or five hundred hertz or a yeah. little bit more lower mid heavy. So sure, you're carving it out and you're adding some sparkle on it. But with Paul's voice and the stuff we were doing, honest to God, when it's all said and done, yep. you listen to it and it's like sounds great. And the buying public Oh, don't care. Nope. They don't care if it was a 57, a 58, or a $10,000 tube tech, you know, yep. whatever, blah, blah. They don't care. Now, yep. as an engineer producer, of course, you want to have integrity. So obviously, you want things to sound the best you can. And it's and it's part of your art. As an engineer, using those things... It gives you a good color. Is, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different... Part now, of the art. I will say that a 58 on Paul, specifically, yeah. it sounded better on him than Al and I. Right. Like, for whatever reason, that Mike and Paul, just the way he, the, his tone or whatever, it just worked for him. Mm. But again, the bottom line was, when Susie is in the, whatever, uh, listening to music and cleaning up the, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever she's doing, washing the car, <laughs> listening to music. Yeah. If her foot is tapping and she's humming along to that repeating melody that we just threw at you a bunch of times, and if she's tapping her foot and kind of humming along as she's doing other stuff, yep. you made a sale. Yep. And again, bottom line is she doesn't care if it was a $10,000 microphone yep. or a 58. Totally. She liked the song. She liked the melody. She liked the words. It meant something to her. She's a fan. Totally. And it has nothing to do with the equipment that it was recorded on. Nothing. Nothing. I agree. And I think this is a really good, it's a good lesson, frankly, for a lot of up and coming producers, engineers, home studio things, mm -hmm. um, because sure, you can keep up with the updates. Sure. You can buy new plugins. And I think frankly, I mean, I'm in that world where mm -hmm. I still buy a lot of stuff and mm -hmm. I like to update things, but I am also well aware that it's like, who am I pleasing? I'm not buying a plugin because somebody said it was good. I'm buying it because I think it would be creatively fulfilling to, to me or spark some creative yep. juices flowing or useful or whatever it is to, that I'm like, that would help me either be faster, be more creative. Yep. How, what problem is it solving for me or, or, you know, problem of being needing to be more creative in a different way, whatever it is. Yeah. And the gear isn't the only way to do it. You don't need massive studios. Maybe you go no. into them and you feel creatively inspired to work there. Mm -hmm. Great. Space That's a, is that important. Space is important. Yep. But some people walk into, and I've seen it many times working at the studio, 
where people would walk in and they're like, Oh my gosh, like this is so cool. But like, I feel like I can't touch anything. And the white doily with the mints. And it's like, Oh, I can't put that. Uh, I can't don't put your feet up on the counter. counter. Like, yeah. Cause yeah, it's, it because it's very sophisticated. It's too much. And, yeah. and I think that that's a, an important thing for people coming up is that you get gear as you need it. Mm -hmm. And sure. If you're into being an engineer and you want to buy a better mic because you think, yeah. Absolutely, because it makes you feel good, and if it makes you want, but don't buy it because you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, and you don't. Well, you don't see what the value is yet, but I'm sure it'll have value. Mm, that's not necessarily yeah. the point. Except, of course, as you said, if it's a commercial studio and you're trying to rent it out to other people, you need what other people are going to want. Exactly. But when it's your own space and you're the guy producing in it, who cares? I like this. Mic. Do you have what you have to create something that you can be happy with? Exactly. With the bands that come in and you, you can sell them on it because they're hiring you and right. you can make a good record with what you have. Yeah. Great. That's, and I think, you know, as for upcoming up and coming people, yep. I think that's a, such an important lesson to, to get what you need and, yeah. and not, you don't need to overkill. Don't, don't chase. Don't you're, it's a slippery slope. That, yep. that yep. world. I've even got to a point where, you know, I had a, a bunch of wave stuff and I had access to, you know, every plugin almost in the world <laughs> at one point. Yeah, been there and before. It's, and it's almost, it's almost overwhelming. It's like, oh, we got seven flangers to pick from. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. And again, yeah, I find, and, and ultimately you'd find one that you liked and then you never even looked at the other six every yep. time. It's like, I need a flanger. I want this one. Yep. And I've even got to a point where when I'm mixing now, I've even changed some of my plugin habits and mm -hmm. I try and use a lot of the native plugins in the machine. Right. For a few reasons. Not that I'm out traveling to other studios all that much, mm -hmm. but if I do, I know they're going to have the same yep. plugins. Yep. Um, to a point. I mean, obviously, there's some that there's a yeah. few a third parties that I like to use that other people would have. Yep, I get that. But yeah, I've I've I did what I went through that whole thing where I'd keep playlists and and we'd get all the plugins and all the new updates, all the new mics and all the stuff. And like I said, was chasing the Joneses. And now the older I'm getting, the more simplistic. Yeah, I I'm getting. Again, genre specific. Like there are certain I, song or t genres that need a specific tone or a plugin that gives you totally. that tone. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, but for a general just use of the machine, I got all I need. It's the same thing. Where the lesson is is if you're working on that, you're not working on rock. No, like heavy metal music. No. So you don't need the new newest amp sim that gives you the dirtiest tone. You don't need it. No, you don't because you're not working on it. No. I do because I'm working on, but I don't need the newest piano jazz yeah, plugin. Because you're not because doing I'm that not music. making jazz music in my computer. Like I don't, I don't need that exactly. And uh, but it goes back to to like I think you've just come to the realization maybe over. I'm just years. old. That's <laughs> but but the the principle of it is the same, and mm -hmm. I think it applies 150 percent even more to people up and coming yeah. that don't buy all the options because now there's more options than ever. Yeah. You don't need them all. You mm. need what you need to create. Mm. And frankly, I think I made a video about this or had a podcast about this. 
buying one thing at a time to update, to add creativity, whatever it is, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. buying one at a time is great. Get to know it before you move on. Because like you said, there's like seven flangers. Well, you use one of them and you use a preset because if you don't like it, you'd move to another one and pick a different preset. You don't actually know how to use any of them. This one always sounds the best. Exactly. And it's, you pick one preset. You don't actually know what any of the dials do. (laughs) And usually it's the one that comes up with. Yeah. Good. (laughs) Yeah. When you type in phaser. Oh, there it is. Yeah. And I think that's a valuable thing. And I think that's something that, that, uh, you can probably speak to from back in the day with more analog gear and less technology is totally, if you had an 1176 or an LA-2A or a whatever, Mm -hmm. you knew that thing inside out because you had one of them or two of them. Every vocal went through it or every bass went through it. And, and, and it wasn't, this is the setting that I use. Maybe you have a starting setting. Sure. Whatever. But yeah, you knew, okay, this vocalist, I want it to be dirtier, so I'm going to do this and that and change that and dial it. Hit it and harder. Hit it hard. And yep. you knew how to use that thing to every possible corner of the earth with it. Yeah. That So you knew. And yep. nowadays, I, I think there's less where they, people pick either a couple of priests. Ah, this isn't working. Find a new compressor. Ah, this isn't working. Pick a new compressor. As opposed to learning As opposed what to- the compressor presser will do for and what all the you. different knobs will do absolutely how to use the how to use the tools like a room um uh recorded last week at ryan's place yeah and i just went with a mono room sure i you know sometimes i do stereo but we were demoing some stuff i thought ah oh, you know what just mono is good yeah. and spray the symbols spray the but there's just a nice on the yep. room and of course, first thing I do, we capture the room. I go into the control room and I throw up 1176. Mm-hmm. And I hit it kind of hard. It's hitting minus 12 or more. Yeah. Uh, but I set my attack to like seven. Yeah. That's the transients through. And then it goes in. But I take the release and go as fast release as possible. So I get, I'm using the pumping and breathing. Yep. So that every time you hit the snare or tom, that room goes... Yep. It gives you that big thump, like energy being held back almost, yep. right? But I'm using the plug-in as an effect. Mm-hmm. I know that if I put my release faster than my attack, it's going to breathe. Yep. It's going to pump and breathe. Yep. And depending on how hard I hit it, it's going to do it more. Yep. <laughs> so how big do you want your room? Exactly. Hit or harder. Yeah. Ooh, that's big. That's too big. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I understand what a compressor does. There's no there's no preset that says, oh, pumping and breathing drum room. That can, doesn't exist. No, and and this is the thing is nowadays it's very easy to have literally a preset that says pumping and breathing room. Yeah. And sometimes you click on it and it doesn't because you didn't record it to the same specification, but you don't know how to fix it. But what you just described is, well, I put the the attack to this because it's going to let the transients through and I do this and I'm going to release... There's so many people that that have a million and ten plugins, but and don't, don't actually them. understand why in the pumping and breathing room is the release set to this, why and the does attack it do set that? to this. Why What's exactly? It? And I think that's something that's getting lost sometimes. And I think that people need to do more research and do more learning into how to use those tools. I don't care. You can have a million and ten. But pick the ones, a couple that, you, and start learning Understand them. Understand them. Intimately. What does the threshold mean? Mm-hmm. What does it do? What does ratio mean? It's very important. Remember at yep. OERT? Yep. Two things. The very first two weeks 
We didn't touch any consoles. We didn't touch any cables. Yep. We didn't touch... The only thing we did for the first two weeks yep. was learn each microphone. Yep. And we learned what a, a, a figure eight polar pattern is, Omni, hypercard, supercard, card, yep. um, ribbon mics versus condensers versus dynamics, you know, versus, you know, uh, tube mics, whatever. Yep. The first two weeks, all we did yep. was learn all about the tools yep. of our trade. Totally. And that's key. It's like an electrician. You don't just send an electrician out who doesn't know which end of the screwdriver to hold on to. It's like, yeah. oh, I got to put a box up there. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> How do we got any glue? How do we do this? Yeah. Like, obviously, yeah. he's trained in knowing what his tools do and how to apply his tools to his job. And what you just talked about is key. I think that it is very important that you understand what, your tools. what the plug, the tool is, not yeah. just a preset. Oh, 70s micro flange. Oh, that's nice. 70s, uh, 75 curly whirly, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And sure, you go through all the presets and one of them's going to sound nice in your mix. One of them's going to sound better than the other ones. Yeah. Yes. But you're fooling and cheating yourself if you can't understand how to get that sound on your own. Yeah. That's key. And I think one of the things I really like about presets that I tell people that they should do is click on a preset, 70s crunchy whirly sound. Yeah. And go, okay, now I'm going to figure out, look at all the dials and figure out what they're doing to understand why this is making a crunchy 70s whirly. Right. Or a pumping and breathing room. Versus the straight DI sound. Yeah, the, why? What? Why? <clears throat> What's it doing? Like yeah. learning that, playing with them, and actually diving into that. And yeah. I think, you know, that's so important. And and again, like you said, the first two weeks learning every microphone. But here's how you didn't learn, was reading some other guy's opinion on the internet. You went and listened to it with your own ears and went, oh, it's brighter. Ah, I see. Do you? Because that's the other thing that I find now yep. is you talk to people and they're like, oh, I I like a, an Elam. So it's, they sound so nice. That, and you're like, have you ever listened to one? Well, no. Okay. <laughs> I have. Uh, and Jimmy said they're really good. Yeah, they are nice. <laughs> However, you, you're, you're, that's not. You, you can't clearly, base an opinion if you don't get it. You have to listen, you have to, and you have the tools at your disposal that yeah. you can, and I'm not saying don't read people's like things yeah. and learn from other people's You can opinions. learn from Absolutely. all that, but make your own. But you have to make your own decisions and, and the tools that you have, learn them intimately to be able to have your own opinion about it. Yeah. And yeah, you can learn about an Elam so that when you finally get into a studio with one, you kind of have an idea of where to go with it. Exactly. But it's not the gospel as to that's what it is because- right. You have to now listen to it and make your own decision about how you think it sounds. That's right. Exactly. You know, and I think that's important for a lot of people to understand. And you guys taught me that back in the day. And I got that drilled into me at OERT. And I got that drilled right. into me at the studio from all the mentors that I had there. And yep. yeah. And every path's different too. Like you went to Toronto and you worked with some heavy yeah. cats there. And like, and each of those moments in each of those different scenarios you get yourself into you're always learning and you're yeah. learning different things from different people and they all apply totally again what, the very first thing we said before we just sat down to talk is that there is no right and or wrong exactly. way to do this the bottom line is does it sound good then it is 
Exactly. And that's the bottom line. That is, and it doesn't matter how many tape machines we used, how many Control-Alt-Deletes, how many different 58s we tried. None of that matters. The bottom yep. line is, when they put it on Spotify, and again, he's out, Susie's out washing the car, and, yep. she's ta- and if she's tapping her foot and humming along, you, you did, did your job. Yep. Period. Exactly. Look at the Beatles. Yeah. They didn't have, they had four tracks. And yet... And yet they still have some of the best sounding records of all time. The White Album's still number one, as if, yeah. if I recall. Yep. I haven't, someone's going to fact check that. I'll be completely <laughs> wrong. But it was for a long time anyway. Yeah. I know that. And and they didn't have tuners. Yep. They didn't have computers. They didn't have, They all they had was, well, mind you, he brilliant, Sir George Martin. Well, they had that. They had him. <laughs> but he was he, but he was the glue. Knew the tools. He knew his tools so so well oh, that yeah. he could manipulate them past what they were supposed to do. They would say something or or exactly. spark an idea, and yep. he'd be like, "Well, oh, I'm hearing maybe we should have a French horn in there or something or yeah. whatever." But it was a creative uh, collaboration. Yep. But he was brilliant at capturing the emotion of totally. the song. Yep. Period. And that's what sold the song. It wasn't Pro Tools. Nope. They didn't have it. Yep. As a matter of fact, I could see them all in the control room. There'd be four big knobs. Yep. That's it. What do you think of this? Oh, I think we need a little bit more Paul. Oh, it's better. Yeah. It was all mono. <laughs> yeah. It was all yeah. mixed in one speaker. It's like, oh, we need a little more Ringo. And like, oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. That's all they had. They didn't have any of this, none yep. of it. And but again, it, it's not about this. It's about capturing a good song with yep. great emotion. And of course, as we go, of course, technology helps. It makes things faster. It makes, things <clears throat> faster. It makes you able to get your creative ideas out faster. Yes, <clears throat> absolutely. And I—that's how I like to think about it, and what I like to tell people. Yeah, and that's—it helps you get there faster. I—I I love shortcuts. I love learning faster ways to do things. Yeah. Uh, that's fires me up, mm-hmm. but it helps me get my idea out faster t- so that it's not lingering. And that just works for me. Yep. It's great. No, and, and it's true. You know, they took a month to make one sound because that was what technology had to do, but they had to figure it out. And that's, yeah. you know, all the well, more just, power it's to It's a them. Mellotron. It's got tape in it. You just hit it and it goes around and around and around. <laughs> yeah. But, but again, like it just, but it wasn't the gear. It was the creativity that they yeah. captured exactly with said gear at the time. Exactly, and that is what sells music. I agree, hundred percent. So, uh, one thing that I want to ask you to wrap up here because I think this is there's so much great stuff. Yeah, I hope I didn't overtalk. No, this is great, and okay. I think that a lot of great lessons in there for up and coming people who are getting into writing music, getting into yeah. recording themselves, even going to a studio to know what to expect, any of those, yeah. no matter what level, um, there are so many things that I think a lot of people, I frankly think a lot of people are forgetting that need to remember, like we just talked about, the end, and I think there's lots of that in here. So thank you very much. Thank you. One thing that I want to kind of end off on is what is something that you would say to an up-and-coming engineer or an up-and-coming producer that is something that over your years of your whole 18 years of uh, doing this, <laughs> your whole okay. life, what's a, what's one thing that you 
wish you would know or, or would have known when I started. Would have known when you started that's like a key thing that that they would find very valuable to really help. I got this. Space is your best friend. Okay. A lot of times, especially when I was starting out, you'd overproduce. You yep. feel it's like, oh, there's a hole there. Oh, we need something there. Or that's, and all of a sudden, they get to the end. It's like that was an assault mm. because there's, I didn't leave enough sonic room for a piece. For example, here's a quick example. It's kind of pointless to have, say, a 12-string guitar going jenga, 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 one E and a two, playing the 16th notes. Yeah. And it's all chingy, changy, kangy, kangy. It's really pointless to have a tambourine going ching, 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 ching at the same time mm-hmm. because they cancel each other. They're taking up the same frequency space, the same rhythm. Yep. Like you can't hear one without the other. So my my point would be to any young up-and-comers is methodically leave, like you can still have your tambourine, but maybe do eights. One and two and, uh, and where the guitar is going, shang, shang, shang. Because now they each have their own sonic Space. Yep. So space is your best friend while making music. Agree, hundred percent. And uh, if you want to learn more about that, uh, go watch my engineer reacts videos because I talk a lot in those about, about dynamics and leaving room and how to make a song breathe. It's got to build. It's got to release. Build. It's got to come down. And I've done a bunch with metal songs, and people are always kind of because I, I love that music. And people are always like, it's just a wall of sound. And it's like, mm, it's not though. If you listen. There's a lot of, it's maybe subtler because it's now the drums have to do something because it is a wall of guitars yeah. or whatnot. The vocals, but they create space it, but still they craft it in a different way. They still create space. So yeah, I 100% that's key agree to me. Yeah. And, and you're right. That was another thing. Uh, again, that's part of that sonic mm-hmm. building or, produ- or producing where, where when it's time to ramp, yep. give her. But then when it's time to release, space. And you know how the ramp sounds good? Because you built into it and go out of it. Yes. If it's just ramped it's the whole time, it, it's dull. It's surrounded with space. Yep, exactly. It's the same thing as doing like, you know, a big old 18 Tom hit fill every four bars. Yep. After you heard it twice, it's like, Boring. Yep. But if you hear it once and it's really surrounded with a bunch of space around it where there's not a lot of toms, all of a sudden now that one tom thing Mm -hmm. is so much bigger than one every eight bars. Yep. Because you're allowing allowing a space for it. Yep. I agree. Yeah. Perfect. I think you're neat. I think you're neat. Thank you. for coming on the podcast this has been great and always 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 a pleasure to chat with you same all right thank you for joining me and uh everybody where can people find you any of your stuff uh www.jreel.com and that's j-a-y-r-i-e-h-l perfect go there find him find his 
work that he's done, the bands that he's in, the stuff he's produced, the other songs he's writing, the there's a million and ten things that this guy's <laughs> working on. So, you too, though. You're busy. I, I know. You're a busy boy. I know you are. <laughs> so, of course, I had to bring you in. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, go check that out, and thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Until then, always be creating. Peace out. Thank you.